I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't already subscribed, I suggest you do so so you can get this podcast and also Egg Chaser's Rugby Podcast delivered directly to your device. If you have subscribed, thank you very much. Why don't you then leave us an iTunes review? Apparently it's very important and all the social media types say uh, it helps us with getting up the charts and all the rest of it. Apparently it's about engagement or something like that. Who knows? You can also like our Facebook page. Now this is important actually. This is important because we've recently started putting all our interviews and all of our podcast recordings onto Facebook Live. So that's jolly good fun. If you want to watch us, you can do that on Saturday, no, Sunday, when we do Egg Chasers. And for Rugby Dungeon, well basically whenever anyone phones in, we'll let you know. Uh, Twitter as well is at the Rugby Dungeon, at Jay Beardmore, that's myself, and at Rugby Podcast for Egg Chasers. Today's guest is Sean Holly. Sean is a very interesting character. He's not had the usual route into rugby coaching like some people have. And because of that, it makes him very, very interesting. He has, well, he's literally written qualifications in rugby. He has been coach at Ospreys. He's led them to titles and most recently has led Bristol to their return to the Premiership after beating Doncaster in the playoffs. Today's episode is sponsored by Field and Flower. Field and Flower are the provider of grass-fed meat delivered direct to your door. Go onto their website, fieldandflower.co.uk, have a look at what they what they have to offer, choose one of the many, many boxes which they have on offer, or make it your own box using a selection of 170 cuts of meat and fish, and it'll just arrive there to your door. Dead easy. In the meantime, maybe you could watch a, you know some rugby or listen to a podcast, and even better, if you use our code RUGBY20, um, you get 20% off your first box, which is phenomenal. Uh, yeah, great. So go onto their website, fieldandflower.co.uk, and our code is rugby20. This is my interview with Sean Holly. I hope you enjoy it. So, how are you, Sean? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, noticed the other day for the first time that you've been involved with BT Sport, which which is great to see. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You know, usually my TV work is uh, with BBC Wales. That's that's my home and Scrum Five Live program in particular, which is is great on Friday nights. But uh, it was it was nice to be asked. Uh, obviously, it was Bristol in their first game at uh, back into the Premiership at Twickenham, and I was delighted to go along. Really enjoyed it. Uh, got to watch the Worcester Saracens game before, uh, and then do my uh, my pitch side stuff for the the Bristol game. Really good. Yeah, well, for our Welsh listeners, you'll be very familiar as part part of the Ospreys <laughs> setup for nine years. 
If you're a Bristol fan, you'll certainly know, certainly know you as their last head coach. Uh, but for my English listeners and the people listening overseas, can you just give me a bit of background about yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, I, I was uh, a rugby player down here in South Wales uh, from a very young age uh, at school. My PE master was the late John Bevan. Uh, he played outside half for Wales and uh, the British Lions. Uh, unfortunately for him, he was behind the likes of Phil Bennett, but uh, he was a fantastic player. And as my schoolmaster, uh, whilst um, I was 15, 16, he was the coach of Wales. So he was very inspirational to me and my peers. And, uh, you know, we we in Wales back then, we had to play rugby in school. We had no <laughs> choice. So r- rugby was a huge passion of mine. Um, you know, I played uh, for a few local well-known clubs. Uh, my home club is Aberavon. And for my steak, and um, whilst at my steak, I would have played with Gavin Henson's dad, Alan Henson. Okay. Um, but... But after coming back from um, Loughborough University, where I studied for three years and played for Rugby Lions, um, I played for Aberavon and got uh, quite a nasty bump in 1994 against South Africa and finished my playing day. So I, I, I was teaching at the time uh, down in Carmarthenshire College and um, I was obviously coaching as well, a young under-18 team. And that, that sort of turned my hand to coaching. And from there, I didn't really look back. I became the first director of rugby at Harbury College. And uh, whilst there, became the Welsh Sevens coach, the Wales Welsh students, and then eventually got picked up by the Ospreys in 2003. And as they say, the rest is history. After nine years, I coached Wales in 2009 and uh, Bristol for the last three years. Excellent. So first question then, how does one go about writing a diploma in rugby? <laughs> That's a great question, David. Um well, when I first started uh, teaching, I was actually lecturing because it was further education and uh, I was delivering A-level P and, and B-tech sports science and you had to go along to many um, professional development courses. And I remember sitting in a, in a one particular one one year thinking, you know, I, I wonder if I was a student now coming along at 16, what I really would like to be doing in uh, in a college course. And I sat there in, in that afternoon and literally penned what I ended up calling rugby studies. I just, I took the main core modules of, of a sports science BTEC and then wrote several um, additional modules to do with rugby, things like laws and refereeing, where the okay. students would learn laws and then ultimately get a refereeing qualification. Rugby coaching in line with the, the Welsh Rugby Union preliminary and level one coaching award. Uh, analysis, where we started doing some match analysis. Uh, and then uh, a practical element, you know, skills and development and, and such like. So it was my my mission, if you like, to, to get... Uh, young students through to enjoy their studies, get a qualification and maybe enter into the rugby world, not just as players, because not everyone would make it as a player, but maybe as a coach, a referee, administrator, whatever. So, yeah, it uh, it was a bit of an epiphanal moment, I think, but uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it it was picked up by quite a few institutions. And actually on my first cohort of rugby, stu- rugby study students was Adam Jones, the former Wales and Lions tight head prop. So there you go. Yeah, uh, I actually read that. Uh, so it, can I... Can I still do your course now or has it been swallowed up by something else? Because I know these things move well, incredibly quick. The, I think around at the time, around 80 institutions picked it up. They sort of put it on the shelf and uh, you're able to pick off various modules. I then took various modules of it to Harbury College. And I think now there are 
uh, various qualifications of similar ilk that you can do. I just noticed this one in the Cardiff area in, and Cardiff Blues have championed that. So I think there's still, you know, um, maybe some some bespoke modules that you can do, but I'm not really sure. One thing's for sure, uh, JB, what I didn't do back then in my na- naivety, I never wrote a textbook and I never patented it. I wish I could have now. <laughs> yeah, so... Do you think it's fair to say then, as a student of the game, your route to coaching is a little bit different? Uh, yeah, I think it is. I think, um, you know, I never played to the, the highest level. I, I played first class rugby, as it used to be called in Wales, but never with one of the big clubs. And uh, the game went professional in 94 and Aberavon back then, we were we were semi-professional. And then obviously I didn't go on to play for Wales. And, and you do get a bit of a head start, particularly these days, if you've, you've played at the highest level, you get more recognised. But what it did for me, it... Um, it it meant that I did the hard yards, you know. I I coached the the under eighteen college team. I, I coached the local senior team. I I, ha- I had to work my way through, do my qualifications, and uh, and get renowned that way and get seen. I, you know, I worked with a lot of the young players that were coming through the Welsh system in the age grade under nineteens, under twenty one regional teams. And then, you know, once I started to impress the uh, the WIU hierarchy, you know, I got selected to to do the Welsh students and then all of a sudden you come across some some pretty serious players and you know all the while you know you're you're continuing your professional development you're you're, you're working on your coaching you're practicing and yeah you know you get recognized and and it paid off in the end uh, it was a lot of hard work a lot of time uh, a lot of upskilling myself and um, eventually when the Welsh Rugby Union brought on a, a level four qualification I was the the first and the youngest to qualify from that. So, you know, I got recognised and, um, you know, I suppose I'm a bit of a believer in fate. I don't know if I was ever going to play for Wales, but I was determined then to go on and coach Wales. So that was me. Excellent. Uh, So is that level four? Is that the one which is kind of across all three unions? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think um, Leighton Morgan originally brought it in way back uh, in about 2008. 2002 something like that it was and uh we actually went on to like a, a coaching level five then and i think that's more individualized across the unions yeah i know kevin bowring well and they do uh, some sort of higher qualification of level five now and i actually mentored on that a little bit for a few coaches whilst uh while starting at the osprey so yeah you know I, it's, it's so important to get your your qualifications but you know what, JB, much like driving a car, you, you pass your test and then you learn to drive, you know, it's a bit like that. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Do you think then that we're going to see more coaches come the way you have, which is studying the game, a little bit more of an academic approach to rugby? I think there's room for uh, a bit of both, if I'm honest. Um, you know, you've only got to look at soccer where clearly Jose Mourinho, Arsene Wenger, um, Pochettino, these sort of fellas they haven't had long playing careers if if at all in Mourinho's case mm. uh, and yet then you've got you've got people you know who who clearly have played to the highest level you know your Klinsmans of this world and I know we've got Conti at Chelsea and so on and I think there's a, there's a similar uh, vein in, in rugby and I think there's room for both uh, if you've got both then obviously you've got the the perfect storm there and 
you know, somebody like Die Young at Wasps now, he came through a similar system to me in terms of the qualifications, but played at the very highest level for the Lions. And uh, mm. he's done the hard yards as well, you know, a lot of years at Cardiff Blues and now uh, doing a great job at Wasps. So I think uh, there's a bit of room for both. But, you know, my advice would be, you know, to, to, to any coach, whatever route it is, that you've got to keep reinventing yourself. You've got to keep sharpening the saw and, uh, and, and get to the top that way. So with coaching now, rugby is becoming a very complex game, which is ironic because everyone everyone tells us what a sim, what a simple game it should be. But because you've got things like uh, scrum, like scrum coach, forwards coach, back coach, uh, defensive coach, do you think if I was a, a aspirational coach hoping to get a professional role one day, you should have an overall view of the game, or you should start to specialise as soon as you can? <laughs> what a great question. Um... Uh, look, I think you need to know the game inside out. Um, hence, when you go back to the rugby studies, uh, you need to know the laws. You need to get, have a real general understanding of the game. Um, and I can be expert in, in one particular area of the game, but you have to know how it complements the rest of the game. That, that's my view. I think uh, perhaps then when you've got a real good understanding um, and a good feel for it, then perhaps specialise. I'll never forget Jonathan Humphreys, the former Wales captain and hooker, coming to the Ospreys in 2005. Um, clearly had a, a real good understanding of, of the whole game. Um, but very quickly, within a season or two, um, you know, I, I remember saying to him, you know, you, you try and be the best set-piece coach in the world because, uh, you know, that was his way. That was his expertise. But he had a, a very clear understanding of the whole game, first and foremost. And, you know, I've had roles as a backs coach. I've had roles as a forwards coach, believe it or not, okay. as a defence coach, as an attack coach. And and more recently, in, my, in the last five, six years, as a head coach. And I could, I could never have been a, a very good backs coach without understanding what our forward players were trying to do or how they would complement the back play. So uh, for me, you have to have a good understanding all around. Yeah, it also it always surprises me because when I do these interviews, you get a preconceived idea of what a player might be as a coach, just judged on you know how he was in his playing days. And I interviewed <laughs> Chris Horseman. And uh, I, I just assumed Chris Horseman would be all about scrimmaging, but I couldn't, I couldn't be more wrong. He's all about skills. And it's just one of those strange things. People tend to find their way uh, late, late, later on in coaching and often it's completely different to, to the player that they were yeah and I think that's the beauty of our game you know you look at somebody like Gethin Jenkins he's uh, Wales's most capped ever player still playing and uh, you know a, a lot of his game isn't necessarily about scrimmaging he's a fantastic rugby player reads the game yeah. has great depth skills good over the ball you know excellent defensively and uh, there you go and he's a prop Adam Adam again was very skillful could kick the ball you know quite well he used to take the conversions uh, at uh, <laughs> 17 year old at college level you know so but but you know scrimmaging was very clearly his thing so um, yeah it's, I think that's the beauty of our game now as a coach would you say you've got a style? <laughs> uh, my players would probably say that. Um, and, and that would differ as I've got older. I mean, I was very much uh, a player's coach as a young younger coach. Uh, I had to win over their respect. Um, I, had, I was very skills-based and um, very player-centred, you know, give them a lot of time. And But as you get older, wiser, you get um, a little bit more... Uh, dare I say, 
at Leicester Cernan, <laughs> yeah, and you become a head coach, then you you have to have a bit of sharpness about you. You have to have a bit of a ruthlessness about you. And sometimes some players don't don't like that. They don't lend themselves to being told straight. So um, it, it's changed. I, I've evolved. Um, I've I've had to and I've had to adapt to different environments and different coaching teams you work with. And, and you know, it, it, I think you have to do that. You have to show some adaptability. But I, I, I certainly have always had um, a very simple philosophy where uh, I would like to attack and defend in numbers, you know, huge on support play, about doing things for others and putting people in space. It's a very simple concept, uh, keeping the ball on the field, a high ball in play, and a uh, very skill-based. Uh, and I think, you know, that's how game... Uh, coaching nowadays, um, it, it can get very technical. But however, I think you have to go game-based, game scenario, look what happens in the game, and then uh, adapt your training according to what you're seeing in the game. And it's as simple as that. Excellent. OK, well, that leads me on quite nicely then to... If you were in charge of a team... Oh no, in fact, if I was to look at a couple of teams that you'd coached in the past, and I didn't know anything about... Um, I didn't know anything about the team. Would I be able to say that there is a Sean Holly team? Well, I hope so. Um, I think yeah, if you look at the Ospreys for uh, uh, most of the years of, of their first 10 years of existence, of which I was there, the Ospreys scored uh, the most tries in a season or they conceded the least. You know, that would give you a fair indication. They had a a very good all-round balance to their game. They had forwards who could handle the ball and control loose play. They had a very, very aggressive defence uh, mm-hmm. that brought it right up to, to modern-day styles. Uh, and they had players who were capable of going on and playing international rugby, and many of them did. So, you know, you, you'd see that in the last three years at Bristol, you have a team that have finished top of the league, that won the most games, scored the most tries, conceded the least. And uh, so, you know... Uh, there's some attention to detail that's very, very important. There are some core elements um, in and around a squad and a recipe for the majority of success. So, you know, I'm a, I stand by my record, JB, my, over, over those, since 2003, coaching professionally. Uh, it's about your win-loss record. And uh, for those um, A&L enough to go back and look, I've got a, <laughs> a very, very high win-loss record. So um, I'm pretty proud of that. Excellent. Excellent. Are you looking to go back into coaching or do you think you're going to want to stay in the media? Well, again, and you follow good questions, aren't you? <laughs> the, uh, the, when I left the Ospreys in 2012, I was picked up by, uh, by the BBC and, uh, and, and Nation Radio to do my own radio show. And I, mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed doing that. I was tempted back to cover for Mark Jones at the Scarlets for, for a couple of months and I really enjoyed that. And then I was waiting for something to turn my head. And the Bristol project, which I felt it was a project, is the one that turned my head. You know, I, I had opportunities to go to to maybe uh, bigger competitions, bigger clubs at the time. But I just felt Bristol was a sleeping giant and, and was a project that I could help get them to the premiership. And fortunately, we did that. Um, at this moment, you fast forward four years' time and... Now I've got a family that uh, I have three kids, uh, 16, 14, and 10, and and, and a, a, a long-suffering uh, wife <laughs> who's been with me since school, and 
Um, you're away a lot. You know, people don't understand the professional co- modern day coaching. You you spend a lot of time with your head in the laptop, preparing sessions, managing people, um, talking with physios and other backroom staff. You you travel a lot to games. Your weekends are gone, so you don't get to see your kids play sport. It's it is a it, it it's it's a tough old gig, and there's massive highs and massive lows in your family and friends. They feel that as well. So. Having coached for 20-odd years now, uh, much of it at the highest level, I think it's about time I took a little bit of a break and uh, enjoyed some things for myself and for the family. So in the short term, JB, that's the answer to your question. Excellent. Can can I just say on a side note, uh, I didn't know about Nation Radio, but I did look it up and you got a few podcasts up. If anyone wants to go back and listen to them, I highly recommend them. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. It's funny how how it works isn't it um i was asked to do it would you like to present your own radio show and you know at that time when you're a, when you're a head coach of, a, of a, a top professional team you have to do a lot of media you have to do a lot of interviews you know to camera to radio and so on so you have a bit of an affinity for it but in our first year of doing rugby nation we won a sony uh, radio award which i i didn't understand was very very big but we yeah, went along is. to london and we were nominated and we won an award and trust me it was like in radio, you would know this, in radio circles, it's like winning an Oscar. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so many people making a big fuss of it. And um, I'm very proud of it now. And we've been running, um, we're into our fifth series. And uh, like you, we have a little bit of fun. But the boys are really good. The guys I've caught and the guys in and around rugby, they're really good, you know, which is why I agreed to come on yours. You, you, you know, you, you scratch each other's backs and they come on the show and we have a bit of fun. And um, I really enjoy doing it, I have to say. Well, if Nation Radio ever need a, low, a low-level podcaster to come on, you just let me know, Sean. <laughs> ah, don't you worry. Don't worry. There's room for everyone. <laughs> um, so taking your experience from coaching going into uh, punditry now, uh, I mean, I imagine you're actually probably watching almost as much game tape doing be, being a pundit as you were a coach. So, yeah. from, from your position then, is there anyone out there in the Pro 12 or the Aviva who is doing something particularly special, particularly interesting, that maybe we wouldn't see sit, um, sitting at home as, as as a standard viewer? Well, first of all, I'm actually probably watching more rugby, believe it or not, <laughs> Or, or a wider cross section. Mm. Um, you know, for example, the last three years I've been crikey, I, I would know the ins and outs of every champion, RFU championship team and the Bristol team. Whereas now I've got a bit more time to watch a lot of the Pro 12, the top 14, the Viva Premiership, the Rugby Championship, for example, is great. Um, but, you know, what, what you do know when you're in the inner circles of professional rugby is you get to know a lot about what other people are doing and um, obviously behind the scenes. I mean, the shining light at the moment, uh, perhaps, and it's been talked about, is is Saracens, you know, and, and it's showing on the field. Their, their culture, their team culture behind the scenes is something um, to behold. It's a real breath of fresh air. They, uh, they they really go to work to enjoy. They involve their family in their working environment. They do everything with a smile on their face, and they do some extraordinary things. You know, like by taking trips away and um, and doing things for their families, and 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 they're well rewarded for it. But it's coming through on the field, isn't it? They they are rewarding Saracens back with their performances and their their silverware. So that's something of um, of particular note. Uh, uh, likewise, I think somebody like Steve Borthwick uh, is 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 particularly innovative as a coach. Uh, I think we'll see big things from him. I would. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Be tipping him to maybe be on Warren Gatlin's lion coaching panel if uh, if I was him. And I only worked with him for, for 42 days <laughs> because <laughs> after, um, after him coming back from Japan, the oh, Eddie Jones quickly snapped him up. Do you know what? That's a really um, good point because... I, was, I can't remember who I was speaking to about Borthwick, but my one reservation about him being an England coach, and it's not really a reservation, I, I think the conversation went, who would be the England coach after Eddie Jones? And whoever I was talking to said Borthwick. My reservation was, he's not done anything at the top of the game yet. So could you just give us a little bit of insight to what he's like to work with uh, and what makes him such a good coach? Well... <laughs> As I say, I only worked in the short time, but I, I, I did my homework on him. And um, now it, it, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that as a player, Steve wasn't the most naturally gifted player. But what he did, he worked extremely hard, did a lot of due diligence, became a leader, and knew the ins and outs of his and the opposition team, particularly around lineup. So his attention to detail as a player was fantastic, and he's translated that into a coach. He's extremely hardworking. And I think, from what I understand, you have to be under Eddie Jones. And having yes, met I've Eddie a couple of times, then that's the case. But, you know, he, he compliments that because his level of detail, he, uh, he, he, he's, his, how clear he presents his information to his players. Uh, and, uh, you know, at, at times quite lightheartedly, but then very serious when he needs to be. And, and the players really like him. They respond to him. And the fact that he's played at the highest level and understands the situations, there's a good combination there. And, uh, you know, he's going to be a real good acquisition for, for Eddie Jones and the England team. Yeah. Well, I was... Uh, obviously, you have uh, one eye on the Aviva via, via, B, via BT Sport and the other eye purely on the Pro 12. Now, it looks to me this year we're going to see a bit of revival, a bit of a revival for the Welsh teams. What, what, what do you think is going on there, Sean? A good question. Um, um, and firstly, I, I get a lot of questions around the difference between the Pro 12 and the Aviva. And oh, no, that's exactly where actually, I was going next. Yeah, I'm, uh, well, I'll just touch on that, JB, that if you look at the, the recent statistics that actually World Rugby have produced, nobody else but World Rugby, then you'll find a lot of the um, the elements of the Pro 12 is is of uh, the, some of the statistics are much higher than any of the other leagues, you know, including the top 40 in the Aviva. Uh, the, you know, things like the number of passes in the game, the ball in play time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's a lot of um, good information coming out of World Rugby. I think where Pro 12 gets uh, bad press is perhaps some of the crowds uh, aren't great, you know, and therefore it doesn't seem like much of a, a, a spectacle. Maybe mm. the depth in the squads 
uh, aren't great, you know, because uh, when they, particularly the Welsh regions, they lose their internationals around the autumn and the Six Nations, then the depth uh, isn't there as it as it quite used to be. And some of the international signings obviously are bigger in the other leagues because the money is bigger. Mm. So it comes back to the revenue, it comes back to the TV deals and so on and so forth. But you know, um, top of the game, you know, the, the, and the past has shown this: the Pro 12 teams can can hold their own to a point. But clearly, in recent times, it's the French and English that kicked on. Um, to answer your first question about the Welsh regions, well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, my old region, the Ospreys, the resurgence in, in their form this year has been a, a quite simple. You know, they've had. Uh, a lot of young players in this last season having to front up because of injuries and the World Cup year. The Ospreys are the best region for perpetually producing you know, young talent to come through their region and then into the international team. And even though they've had quite a, an easy start in terms of the opposition, they will be there, thereabouts this year. I think they'll, I think they'll even make top two of the Pro 12. Wow. And I think they'll do extremely well in the European Challenge Cup. OK. Uh, just whilst we're, on, whilst we're on the Ospreys... They've always had a bit of a reputation for producing ball playing, fly, ball playing fly halves, or actually just ball players in general. But it, the guy who's always stood out for me is Dan Bigger, because if you think about Dan Bigger, he's seen off uh, people like Gavin Henson, James Hook, uh, Matthew Morgan. But now it looks like he's got some real competition. Where do you stand on <laughs> Sam Davis versus da- versus Dan Bigger? Because at some point, the Ospreys are going to have to make some difficult decisions, and so are Wales actually. <laughs> Well, look. There's, there's no. First of all, there's no doubt in the um, the talent uh, that has come through the Osprey region, and in, those names that you mentioned are, are fantastic players in their own right. Matthew Morgan, we're obviously seeing play at fullback now. There must be a reason for that. James Hook has played a lot of his rugby at twelve and fifteen out in Perpignan. There must be a reason for that. And likewise, Gavin Henson, a lot at twelve and fifteen uh, as well as ten. You know, Dan Bigger is, is an out and out ten in the modern game. So those play those players I mentioned before maybe would have you know a little bit more talent in certain facets of the game than Daniel. But what the modern game requires is a leader at ten. They need somebody who drives the forwards, who uh, puts people in position, has a has a superb kicking game all round, and Daniel has that. Now, what he's got behind him, Daniel, is he's got a young player who, who has a bit of everything, and that's Sam Davis, Nigel Davis, the former Wales centre's son. Oh, and, is that who uh, it is? He, no he has a lot of those attributes that Daniel has. Huh. Um, okay, so... If you if you were for, if you were forced to forced to pick one for your for your team tomorrow, which way would you go? <laughs> Let's put you on the spot. That's very harsh. I consider all these players. I've coached them all, and I consider them all my boys. So I, and I wouldn't like to pick. And that's but, okay. I'll, um, I'll let you off on that one then. <laughs> I'll pick them all. Let's say in different positions. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I've always considered the fact that that James Hook moved position. Uh, Matthew Morgan move position, Gavin Henson move position. I always put that down basically as a tribute to Dan Bigger because he is that good. Well, there's that way of looking at it. You're right, JB. But also that these other players have tremendous qualities and uh, allow them to play in other positions as well. Let me just quickly tell you the reason, you know, Daniel Bigger coming through was one thing um, and picking him at 10, but picking James Hook at 12 uh, has a philosophy that I referred to earlier of having 
two outside halves having a 10 and a second 5-8 at the Ospreys we were able to play both sides of the ruck send numbers in attack and if effectively have a 10 either side of the ruck and of course when you've got a, a second 10 like James Hook who can also kick and it just adds a, a huge amount to your kicking game particularly in the attacking kicking game with grubbers through for the likes of Tommy Bow and Lee Byrne that were magical at the time as well so you know the ability to play those two was essential I just feel Warren Gatland likes Jamie Roberts for a different reason at 12. A different coach might have ad- adopted James Hook as a 12 for Wales because of those things that I mentioned. Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right there. And I'll say something relatively interesting. I say relatively because you might not find it interesting. But uh, on Egg Chasers this week, we were discussing about centre selections in the Viva Premiership. And six of the starting centres this week were actually, uh, sorry, five of the starting inside centres this week were fly halves. Uh, there you go. Jimmy, Jimmy Gopperth being a classic example. Um, you know, what's for finding a place for him, aren't they? Yeah, and, and he looks uh, like the Northern Hemisphere's was... best fly hot, sorry, best centre at the moment. Well, his, history will tell you, JB, as well. You know, where did Johnny Wilkinson start? You know, he, he played a lot at 12. Michael Liner, the, perhaps the Wallabies' best ever outside half, started as uh, a 12 outside Mark Eller and then inside. Uh, Andrew Slack, who was the captain at the time. Dan Carter played a lot of rugby at 12 uh, outside Andrew Mertens. I mean, they call it second 5-8 for a reason. And, yeah. um, you know, a lot of coaches still have that philosophy. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. I wonder sometimes, is it just a cycle? Because it must be so hard to be a Jamie Roberts. You can only be Jamie Roberts if you're six foot four, extremely powerful, extremely physical. I just don't think there's enough of those guys to make an impact against modern defences. And that's why coaches might take it a different way. And eventually, they'll, it'll all come back around to Jamie Roberts' style, style centres. Absolutely. And a lot of it comes down to the philosophy. And what's available to you, you know, Ryan Crotty now at uh, 12 for New Zealand. Well, he's he's not your traditional player that they used to have in there. He's quite direct, isn't he? Jamie yeah. Roberts started out as a full-back wing, don't forget, you know, with the, the attributes that he had. Warren Gatland saw him as a 12 and Mike... Yeah. Jimmy hasn't done bad, has he? <laughs> no, in fact, yeah, I think his first game is on the wing for Wales. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Which actually, if you think about it now, you'd never play J- J- Jamie Roberts on the wing ever. <laughs> well, I think you've got to look at it the flip side, you know. Play Lee Halfpenny at 12, would you? No, no, absolutely, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so we just touched before on the style of the Pro 12. Um, now, the style with ball in play and all the statistics that you mentioned before is almost the exact opposite to how Wales have played played historically. At the end of Gutland's contract, uh, I think it's a, that's the next World Cup, who do you reckon the leader in the clubhouse is uh, for the Welsh candidates to take over? <sighs> wow. Um, that's a great question. I think we're, we're going to have a moral dilemma in Wales uh, if Warren Gatland leaves um, with regards to whether... The hierarchy field is somebody good enough of um, Welsh descent mm. or they will have to choose another overseas coach. You know, Warren has been Wales' best ever coach. I know, agree with Statistics that. tell you that. You know, Graham Henry um, was the great redeemer when he came here. The first overseas coach, Steve Hansen, <clears throat> I don't care what people uh, thought at the time, was clearly a very good coach because he hasn't done bad since, has he? Um, mm. So there, there'll be a lot of pressure to get another overseas, particularly a New Zealand coach. I think the Welsh public have warmed to that. 
but I'm, I'm a little bit more traditional. I mentioned to you, John Bevan. Um, I think it could be time that we got a Welsh coach and uh, the ones that be in the pecking order, I would imagine, would be Rob Howley because yep. of his time he spent in. Uh, Dai Young is obviously doing a great job at Wasps and had a lot of experience now. And so, uh, you know, and ironically, those two coached together the Cardiff Blues when I was first at the Ospreys. Oh, so. they did, didn't they? <laughs> they, Yeah, they've kicked on. Yeah, uh, Dai Young, I, I love his story because it could have gone so wrong. Wasps weren't always this good. In fact, I think he was hours away from, lose, uh, from losing his job and Wasps, Wasps going under. And look at him now. Well, that's our game, JB, unfortunately. Uh, look, I'm sat here talking to you and um, I've just been involved in getting Bristol promoted to the Premiership. You know, <laughs> and, uh, you know when I left the Ospreys, uh, we were, it was nine years and we were top of the league, you know, uh, heading for our fourth title. So, you know, that, unfortunately, that's the way it works in our game. Uh, there are a lot of reasons for it. There's a lot of dynamics and things that happen behind the scenes. Um, but when it's good, it's really good. And, and Dai needs to to make hay while the sun shining at the moment because his team are playing fantastically well. Yeah, I mean, hopefully we, we can have a Welsh coach who's won a, won, won a couple of Heineken Cups, which would be very nice. That would be nice. I mean, for even better if a Welsh team won it. We got to the quarterfinal three times at the Ospreys and the Blues have got to the semis once. But uh, it's been uh, slim pickings ever since, I can tell you. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be this year either, does it? It certainly doesn't be. You know, the biggest disappointment was the Ospreys not making um, Champions Cup qualification. The Scarlets are our only flag bearers there, and they've had a, a poor start to the season. And looking at their pool, oh. um, you know, it's going to be a tough ask. Well, yeah, I'll mind get you, all the them. pools are pretty I th- difficult. I think later on in the month they're coming up to the AJ Bell, so I'll get to get some. Uh, I'll get to have some eyes on on, uh, on them fairly soon. Uh, now, with Bristol coming up to the to the Premiership. There's quite a lot of mystique around them you know, with the amount of money that they've spent with um, obviously you know, yourself there, um, Robins, uh, 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 Robinson there and uh, you know the whole shooting match with, with, with Lansdowne. How do you expect them to play and where do you think they're going to pick up their points this year? Well, first of all, I think uh, Andy will have been well aware of the challenge ahead. Uh, the, the the task for the championship club that goes up is that because of the playoff system, JB, it's a nightmare to recruit yeah. players. Uh, I think Bristol have done very well to get the likes of Tusi PC from the Sunwolves, Jordan Crane, Tom Vandell, Mark Jones, the hooker from Sale. I think you know that that they are quality players that uh, Andy's done well to recruit. But whether whether or not it's enough strength in depth um, for the whole season remains to be seen. The fact that they conceded seventy points uh, last weekend is obviously a massive alarm bell and uh, a bit of a wake up call. How much of that now will be due to? Getting up to speed with the standard and the speed and the strength of the Premiership, well, only the next three or four weeks will tell because they have the Chiefs and Saracens the next two weeks. It's pretty unforgiving, isn't it? It is. Um, uh, to, so, I mean, to answer your question, the, the points at the moment that they're going to pick up are are in bonus points, you know, I would have thought. Uh, they've got to be looking to score four tries. I think Andy admitted after the game last week they were hunting down four tries for a bonus. And uh, they will be, although they won't admit it, they'll be keeping an eye on the Newcastles, who've just lost at home narrowly, Worcester uh, and the likes, and um, I'm trying to hang on to their tails by getting some bonus points and maybe pinching the odd home win uh, in the next couple of weeks. But clearly their home form would be a concern, losing uh, heavily to Northampton last week. 
um, they will have to have some better showing because it would be a must to pick up some wins at home later in the season. Yeah, and I think when you started started the season, you would say, well, Worcester and Newcastle look you know, weak. They actually don't look that weak. Worcester played some, some nice rugby against Bath and Newcastle only lost by one point against Leicester. So I think actually the yeah. task is even more, even uh, even more massive now than maybe it was at the start of the season. Well, I watched that double header obviously working for BT Sport that first weekend, and I I, I thought Worcester looked pretty dreadful, and uh, and Bristol ironically looked very good against Harlequins. Yes, he did. Um, but we're seeing we're starting to see things pan out a little bit now, aren't we? Harlequins don't look great after three weeks, and uh, Worcester have improved. Uh, and we've seen how ominous Saracens are. Uh, Worcester had some injuries back then. So, you know, it, it, it's starting, we're starting to see a little bit of a pattern come out already. I mean, that is a concern for Bristol, but I still think that they have some quality and on their day, they can score some tries. So, um, it, a lot will depend on those games. You know, I think they, they, they play Newcastle pretty soon and I think we'll have a better gauge uh, when that happens as to, to that end of the table. Yeah. Do you think we'll likely to see a much improved Bristol once Gavin Henson returns? Well, I thought Gavin was outstanding in the first yeah, uh, 30 minutes of that first game. The thing with Gavin is 34 or not, he's, um, he's got so much time on the ball and uh, that's great for the teammates around him. He, he sort of holds the defence for a split second. He has great skills. He puts people in space and his kicking game is a massive asset. So yeah, I, I, the sooner Gav comes back, the better for them, I think, because he just he's he's probably one of the class players that they've got. Yeah, I mean, if I had a criticism of Gavin Henson, it's the fact that he doesn't spend enough time time on the field, and also he's so hard to replace. It it it's not easy to find your backup Gavin Henson. No, yeah, I've got many players like Gav. Trust me, I've got many blokes like Gav. Uh, <laughs> he's a great bloke. And uh, in a, when I had him back at Bristol, having not worked with him for a few years, I was really impressed with his his attitude, his leadership. He's got great knowledge of the game. You know, We get on really well. He's a great bloke. And uh, you know, I know he feels that he can play for a couple more years at that level. And, and I, I, I'll say it again, for that 30 minutes or so, it, look, it certainly looked like he could. So... Looking forward to seeing him back. Yeah. Who are the players then in this Bristol team who regular Premiership fans might not know of, but they should be they they, uh, they should be watching out for? Well, one they should look out for is Mitch Eady, uh, a number eight, uh, a local Bristol boy, a young man. Uh, he played for Scotland under twenties a few years back, and you know he he was one of the players of the championship uh, for for the time that I was there very quick off the base explosive you know um uh, that sort of pace that you need to play in the premiership and he's one to watch out for i i love joe joyce another local bristol boy in the second row okay. again a guy that uh, that has come up through the ranks played on the weekend he's got a bit of development to come but look out for him. And uh, and there's a couple of young Welsh lads that have signed this year, Jordan Williams and Rodri Williams. Uh, Jordan's a fullback and Rodri's a scrum half. They're fantastic rugby players who have a little bit of X factors. So look out for them as well. Yeah, I'd like to see Jordan Williams re- really hit his stride because I think if he does, he could be a star. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, but um, he'll need a bit of front football, JB, if, uh, if he's going to show his skills. <laughs> now, uh, if you don't mind me asking, did you not fancy a crack at the crack at the Premiership? And what were the circumstances around you leaving Bristol? 
A uh, number of circumstances, really. You know, it was uh, uh, some of it was out of my control, if, I, if I'm honest with you, and that's what happens. Um, circumstances change at the club, and um, you know, maybe sometimes um, things don't quite work out as you seem. From from my my point of view, as I said, uh, three years uh, travelling back and forth to Bristol with with my family, and uh, the time it takes out well, was was particularly hard on us, and. Mm. Uh, you know, in the end, we mutually agreed to, to to go our separate ways. And as disappointing as that is, you know, I sit here now, and it's um, it's, it's been really refreshing for me and the family. And uh, you know, you you move on in a different direction. There, there are other challenges ahead for me that that are in the pipeline. And um, you know, you'll find out more about them in the coming months. I look forward to it. So, uh, before we go, then, give me your prediction for Bristol's finish this year. Uh, and then uh, tell us where we can find your f- f- uh, find your work and where we can get you uh, on your future media appearances. Okay, well, Bristol, you know, I'm confident that uh, that they, they can turn something around. I, I I just feel that they can win some games at Ashton Gate against the teams that are going to be down that bottom area, and uh, I also feel they have a try scoring capability to pick up some bonus points once they get. Uh, into the flow of the Premiership. It's not going to be easy, but um, I'll, I, I think they could finish one off the bottom, which uh, would be enough, obviously, uh, and then they can build from there. With Steve Lansdowne's collateral and uh, Bristol Sport behind them, if they manage to do that, then they could grow into the Premiership from strength to strength. So, yeah, I, I, and I hope they do that, for, particularly for the fans' sake and for Andy Robinson's sake. Fantastic. Um, where, you can, where can you find me? Yeah, you're t- um, all uh, over the place. <laughs> Uh, look, I'll be I'll be on Scrum Five most Fridays. Uh, you can see my analysis on my website, which is uh, seanholly.co.uk. Um, I have some previews and events going on on Sean Holly TV on on YouTube, and you can you can get in touch with me on Twitter. Contact me at underscore Sean Holly, and I'm, I'll be more than happy to to engage in any any coaching or rugby banter. And uh, <laughs> if you want to book me for after dinners, then get in touch that way. Fantastic. Sean, you've been an absolutely tremendous guest uh, and I'll get in touch with you as soon as I pass my rugby diploma. (laughs) Good luck. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Sean. Thanks a lot. Well, massive thank you to Sean for that. That was a really interesting interview. I hope you guys got as much out of it as I did and hopefully we'll get Sean back on the show maybe mid-season when uh, the Pro 12 has started to develop a few trends and we'll see how Bristol are getting on too. Follow us at The Rugby Dungeon. Hope you enjoyed it on Facebook Live. And don't forget to go and visit our good friends at Field and Flower who support the show and have supported everything that we've done so far. Our code on there is RUGBY20. Um, anything else? Yes, of course. Next week's guest is the one and only Jamie Cudmore. So watch out for that. That should be absolutely fascinating. So I'll speak to you guys next week. Until then, goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.